Well, um, appreciate the opportunity last week to share a little bit about Veterans Day. It was great to have Mr. Lee Long here, but we want to continue our sermon series on the power of a question. And if you haven't been here in, in a few weeks or you're new this morning, we certainly want to welcome you and thank you for being with us. But we've been doing a been doing a series on the questions that Jesus asked called The Power of a Question. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus asked over 300 questions. And so we've been kind of going through some of those and looking at why Jesus asked those and, and some of the answers. And so today we're going to look at, at another one of those. But before we start, I... Um, Wanted to uh, talk about a story a few years ago. Um, my oldest son Carter was playing little league baseball. I think he was probably seven or eight years old, and I was coaching. And uh, we had this game, and I remember uh, this team we were playing had this really huge kid on the team. You know, every now and then you get somebody on the other team, you're like, "Are you sure that kid's only eight years old?" <laughs> he was just really big, and he came up to bat, and I thought, "Man, if this guy ever hits the ball, it's going to go out of this little park, or he's going to kill one of my kids <laughs> on my team." So sure enough, he gets a pitch, and he hits a one-hopper down the third baseline, and our third baseman does not react at all. He just stands there, and it pops him, y'all, right in the mouth. I mean, there's blood everywhere. We're running out there with a towel. The towel's soaked with blood. His parents come running out there. They have to cart him off to the emergency room. He has seven stitches, and so... As he's leaving to go to the emergency room, I gather my little team around me, and I go, okay, who wants to play third now? <laughs> and, of course, nobody volunteers at all. They're all just going, I ain't playing third. So I finally coached this one kid into saying, hey, will you at least stand in shallow left field in the grass, sort of near third base for the rest of the game, and he agreed to do it. But that's pretty much where he st stood the rest of the game. Y'all can probably identify when someone asks a question and there's no answer because nobody wants to step up and answer the questions. Sometimes it's a, a question in front of a lot of people or maybe just a small group, but there's this awkward silence because somebody's got to answer, but nobody's answering. And it leaves this powerful momentary silence as we wait for somebody to step up and answer. And everyone's going, who's going to be the first to answer that? It's not going to be me. But think about it, maybe you'll be sitting around um, uh, Thanksgiving and in front of a lot of family, and one of the little kids in the group will look at you and say, is Santa Claus real? And then there's going to be some awkward silence about how are you going to answer that. Or maybe you're sitting around and one of your kids asks you in, a front, in, in a front of a lot of other adults or, or even kids, goes, so daddy, how, or mommy, how are babies made? In front of everybody, you've got that awkward. How about this one, do you love me? Do you still love me? Who's going to step up? Maybe a coach has to ask that like I did, or maybe a, a manager or a boss or somebody. Because who's going to step up and cover now that so-and-so's out? Who's going to step up and cover their responsibilities? Maybe you've heard that question, and there's a pause before someone steps up. How about this? Who broke this? <laughs> Remember that one? Oh, get the whole family meeting. Who broke this? And there's that awkward silence till somebody, who wrote this? Who agrees with this? There's this awkward silence in questions like these because whoever answers first, there's risk involved in there. There's a risk to break the silence. Even more in answering, someone's going to have to take responsibility. Somebody's going to have to make a stand. Someone's going to have to take a side. Someone's going to have to commit to something or, or place their honor on the line or place their reputation on the line or bear their soul or expose their heart. 
in answering that question. And a lot of times when those moments can be defining moments for the person who steps up and answers or simply someone who watches someone step up and answer a very difficult question. Well, today I want to look at another question that Jesus asked in the Gospels, but in all reality, I really believe this is the most important question that Jesus ever asked in all of the Gospels, and it's the most important question that any human will ever answer. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at Matthew 16 today, um, verses 13 through 20. Hopefully that'll be on the screen, or you can use your personal device, or if you brought your Bible, we'd certainly follow along. So Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Um, Mark also in his gospel um, has this in chapter 8, and Luke, I believe, in chapter 9 also has this encounter. But we're going to read from, from Matthew's gospel and his account today. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, this may be a, a, a familiar passage to some of you, um, but it's interesting, especially that last part. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah, which was interesting, and we'll get to that later. But I want us to have a little bit of a background on this passage. And I think it's really important because of where Jesus was and what he was asking in this particular place that he was actually in when he asked it. Now you say, well, you know, wh where is Caesarea Philippi and what difference does that make? But I want to kind of walk through that a little bit. Um, we're looking at Matthew 16, like I says, and Matthew doesn't always tell us in his Gospels exactly where Jesus is when he's teaching something or, or something event. Like, for instance, on the Sermon on the Mount, we can make speculation where that was, but all that Matthew really says is that Jesus went up on a mountainside and started teaching his disciples and the, and the people. doesn't tell us what mountain, and we can speculate where that was. Um, in the transfiguration, you know, that kind of odd thing that Jesus goes up on a mountain in Matthew 17, if you want to look at that later. And during that, he tells us that Jesus went up a high mountain. He doesn't tell us specifically what mountain. He just says he went up on a high mountain. But interestingly, in this passage, on this particular story, they are in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And, and Matthew specifically tells us where they are, which is geographically about as far from Jerusalem, the center of worship for most Jews. It's about as far from Jerusalem as you can possibly get on the map and still be in Israel. So they're geographically very far from the center of where they worship God at the main temple. But also this is a very spiritually about as far as you can get away from God region as there is. And I think it's important for us to know this as Jesus is asking this hard question. Caesarea Philippi was an area that was located between Mesopotamia and Egypt. And there were a lot of travelers that came through this area. And they traded their goods and like they did in that first century. And they would stay there. But there's also a place for pagan worship and pagan temples. And I'm not talking about little temples. We're talking about huge temples. One in particular was to Caesar Augustus that Herod the Great 
built. And Herod the Great was well known for all of his buildings. He was a uh, very progressive in his building and designing things, and he built a lot of things. So he built this to Caesar Augustus. And then also his son, uh, Herod Philip II, I think is, was his name, um, he also built a temple to the, the, the god of Pan. You ever heard of the god of Pan? Uh, if, you, if you know what Pan is, he's the guy that was half goat and half man, and people worship this. And you go, what? why would people do that? But it was part of Greek mythology. And uh, there were many idols at these temples, and all kinds of animal sacrifices were made in this region and at these temples, and even sometimes human sacrifices. For instance, to the god of Pan, there was this, uh, in their temple, there was this water part of the temple, and uh, it was a natural water, but they would throw a goat in. And if this goat would sink, then it means that Pan accepted the sacrifice. But if the goat did not sink, that means he did not accept the sacrifice. And now you had to throw one of your children into the water and see if he would. And you go, that's crazy. That's sick. But this is some of the things that were going on in this region. There were many idols and things. So why does Matthew let us know that he's in this idol forsaken, you know, this kind of region where all this idol worship and, and idolatry is going on? Why would this be important? Well, I think it's important for us to kind of look at, at why he does that. It would seem that the disciples are very aware of this area. They know that this is a very ungodly area. And as Jews, they're very offended by this because this is still in Israel. But as you know, they are occupied by the Romans. They have been taken over by the Romans. And they're allowed to live there and do what they want to do for the most part. But still, Rome is in control. And by putting these huge um, idolatrous temples to, to, to um, false gods, this is very offensive to them. It's, very, it's an abomination to them. But it's also a reminder of them of their own history as Israelites. They have had a problem with idolatry throughout. If you read the Old Testament, you remember they had a covenant with God. And they were supposed to worship the only one and true God. But the idolatry of their neighbors eventually seeped into their culture. And they would start also being idol worshipers as well. So this is a reminder of them. So for Jesus to ask these questions about who he is in the midst of this region that is full of idols and temples that are built by powerful rulers of the time seems to be very significant. He's trying to let us know that in the midst of all this, I'm asking about my true identity and who you say that I am. So this is maybe about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. You know, he started when he was about 30 years old, and this is about a year and a half into his ministry. And his disciples, these 12 men that he has called to follow him have been following him all over the different regions. They've heard him preach and teach, tell parables. They've seen him work amazing miracles. They've seen him heal blind, lame, and sick people. Uh, they've seen him raise a, a girl from the dead. They've heard, uh, been a part of seeing him calm a storm when it came up. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him feed thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. And then just recently, they've seen him actually walk on water. So if they weren't 100% sure that Jesus is the Messiah at this point, they're about 90% so, and this has got to be the Savior of the world that God has called. But isn't Jesus, shouldn't Jesus' identity at this point already be clear to everyone by the miracles and things? But let's go back a little bit. Um, we're getting ready to come upon the Christmas time, obviously, and we read about the baby born in Bethlehem. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, we remember that the angels came to the shepherds that night and said, Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you who is what? Who is who? Christ the Lord. The Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. So Jesus' identity from before he was even born was, was, was 
told to these shepherds. And then Mary and Joseph were told all these things. And eight days after Jesus was born, you remember he was taken to the temple in Jerusalem and to go about all the rituals they were supposed to go about. And as they're going into the temple, they meet this very old man named Simeon who doesn't know them or know anything about Jesus, but he knows it's been revealed to him by God that this baby this couple is carrying is the Savior of the world, and God promised me that I would see it before I died, and now I can die because he is here. That's identifying who Jesus is. And then shortly after that, they run into a a lady named Anna who also is very old and has been looking for the salvation of, of Israel, the redemption of Israel, and she says, in this baby I now know that it's here. So Jesus has been identified as the Savior since before he was born, as he was born, as a baby. And we don't know much about Jesus from 12 years old all the way to 30. The Gospels don't tell us any of that. But we do know when he was 30 that he walks into the local synagogue in Nazareth where he is, which he has done many, many times in his lifetime. But on this particular day, he pulls out the scroll and he reads from Isaiah. And he basically reads about the one who is going to come and that's going to provide all these things as the Messiah. And Jesus rolls up the scroll and he puts it back and he just stands there and sits down and everybody's just looking at him like, okay, now what? And he says, today in your presence, this is fulfilled. Basically claiming to be the Messiah. And everybody's going, what? This is Mary and Joseph's son. He's, he's been a carpenter his whole life. How is he the Messiah? And they eventually don't like what Jesus says after this and they want to throw him off a cliff, but Jesus somehow escapes from that. So Jesus is, again, very clear on what his identity is. On that day on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is asleep in the boat, and the storm rolls in, and it's awful, and Jesus is still asleep, and the, the, uh, uh, you know, the disciples are bailing water, and they're going, what are we going to do? And they're going, finally, they go, somebody wake up, Jesus, and they're shaking. And Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? We're about to die. And Jesus wakes up, and without even thinking, I think he just immediately says, be calm, be still to the waves and to the wind. And now they're not terrified of the storm anymore. They're terrified of Jesus and his power. And they go, who is this? We know he's the Messiah, but who is this that can just raise his hands and the the winds stop and and the waves start tossing? Who is this? So in this particular instant, Jesus is again in this pagan, idolatrous region of, of their own country, Jesus is asking about who his identity is in this region with their false god. Who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street, boys? You've been around in all the places that I've taught in all these towns. You've heard the feedback from people as you walk back and forth with me and been around. What do your family say? What do your friends say? What do the local people say? Who do they say that I am? And Matthew tells us that they, the disciples, all answer this one. Probably, you know, just like a teacher will say, hey, who knows what? And, you know, everybody starts raising their hand and just blurting out answers. And it sounds like that's what happens here. They say John the Baptist, Elijah. Some people say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what do all of those prophets and John the Baptist have in common, y'all? They're dead. They're all dead. So some believe that Jesus has come back as one of these prophets. But Jesus says, okay, I I hear what you've said everybody else says, but now the important question is, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is the most important question for all of humanity if you really think about it. I would have loved to have been there when Jesus asked that, in that region, in that place, and looking at everybody's face, all the different disciples going, I know he's the Messiah, and I know I should say that, but I don't want to be the one that's going to raise my hand and say it. 
they were looking at each other going, are you going to say something? Are you going to say something? I don't want to be wrong. You know, sometimes when you think you have the right answer, and you're pretty convinced you have the right answer, but you start to put your hand up and you go, yeah, but what if I'm wrong? Everybody's going to know. And they know that Jesus has asked questions before about things, and when they answer, Jesus will answer them with things like this. Why are you so dull? (laughs) Why do you have such a little faith? So there's probably a little bit of a risk in saying the wrong answer. But Peter doesn't hold back. Maybe they're all looking at him. Now, he'll say anything. You know how Peter is. He's the guy. He's the guy who will raise his hand. You know, I used to love these people in my class who would raise their hand and go, I'm sorry, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And I used to go, thank you, in math class all the time for that person that would raise their hand and say that. Because I was afraid to say it. So Peter says what they know. He says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And so I want you all to kind of grasp this, why this is so important in this region. For Jesus to say, the son of the living God in this region of dead gods, surrounded by temples that are full of man-made idols or false idols that are made by men, but then they are worshipped. Gods that are not real, so they have no real power, no real power power at all, but yet people are manipulated and intimidated and held captive by these. You heard what I said, they would throw their own kids into the water to appease this God of Pan. And Jesus is saying, that's not real, but the son of the living God is real, and he is right here in the midst of all these false gods. And I'm telling you, that is exactly who I am. And I think the disciples do not understand at this point that the son of the living God will have to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. They don't understand that. They see him as the Messiah who can calm the storm and can raise people from the dead and that can heal people. But they don't understand that he's actually going to have to suffer and die. That's not what Messiahs do. That's not what the Christ does, Jesus. Why in the world would that be a part of this, the living God's plan? Death. That doesn't make sense. But this living God would raise his son from the dead and defeat death forever. So Jesus commended Peter and told him that this was revealed to him not by flesh and blood, but by God himself. And then Jesus ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was a Messiah. Does that make any of you go, what in the world? Jesus, why would you tell your disciples after you've just clearly identified who you are with them and you've done all these other things that identifies who you are, why would you order them not to tell anybody? Maybe it wasn't his time yet. You remember when Jesus did his first miracle of water into wine. He's at this wedding. They run out of wine. And Jesus' mother runs over and goes, Jesus, they don't have any wine. What are you going to do about it? He's like, woman, why are you bothering me? It's not my time for this stuff yet. And then she just goes, do whatever he says. And Jesus, of course, makes the party the best wine ever. So maybe it's one of these timing things. Maybe he didn't want the publicity right now. But but again, the disciples are going, but Jesus, you're the one who keeps bringing the crowds. You're the one that keeps wowing the crowds by what you're doing. We don't have control over that. But they knew who people said Jesus was. But now they have confirmed, based on this latest conversation with Jesus and Peter, they are very clear that they do understand who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He doesn't want them to tell right now for some reason who he is. But I think the reason is, y'all, is because they don't really understand his mission. And the reason we know that is in a few verses beyond what we've just read, and I encourage you to go home and read that at some point, the rest of this chapter 16. Jesus tells that, hey, what's getting ready to happen is is I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested and taken captive by the religious leaders. And ultimately, I'm going to die on a cross. 
for the sins of the world. And they're like, what? That We've been following you for a year and a half for that? Because that's not what we had planned on. That is not what happens to Messiah. Peter says, stop that talk, Jesus. Never will that happen to you. And what is, just been at the front of the class, got the right answer, Peter, and now you're getting ready to go to the back of the class because he's going to call you, get behind me, what? Satan, y'all know. He goes, what you're thinking about is not from God. It was revealed to you who I was, the Messiah by God, but what's just revealed that I won't have to go through suffering and sacrifice and the cross, when you say no to that, that's of Satan, because Satan doesn't want the world to be saved. He wants them to be manipulated and controlled by false gods, like in this very region, Peter. But for us today, I think we have to answer that same question. Who do you say that Jesus is today? I really believe it's the most important question anyone will ever answer. Not who the culture around us says he is, not what a professor at a university or at your high school says, not what an author of multiple theological best-selling books says about who Jesus is, not someone on YouTube video says Jesus is, not a family member, not a friend, but who do you say in your heart, in your mind, in your soul that Jesus is? That's the most important question we will ever, ever answer. And it's this question is one that we will have to answer personally about Jesus. Now, I was, I was, I was sharing with my class on Wednesday night here. Um, a lot of y'all know who Francis Chan is. He speaks all over the country. He's a preacher and uh, has uh, been a preacher of churches in California. And he um, is getting ready to move to Asia. But he recently spoke for his last time after 20 years of speaking at the chapel at Azusa Pacific University. He was preaching, and, and, I, and this one part just struck me as I think about our culture and what we say about Jesus and that he's really the Messiah of the world and why this question is so important. He says, it used to be that God and his word was held in high esteem in our world and even in our country. And we had thoughts about that, but our thoughts and our feelings and our opinions about who God was and, and who he said he was in his word, we had thoughts about those, but those were lower. But now our culture has changed. And God's word is not as important. And what we think about Jesus and what we say about Jesus and what we say about God and his word takes precedent over what God actually says, who he is and what his word says. And he's speaking to college age at a Christian college and saying, y'all need to know that truth and you need to take it to heart. And I was like, yes, he's right on point with that. It's so true. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're in this area where people are saying, no, Jesus is not really the Messiah. You need to throw your baby into the water and let it drown so that the God will be appeased. You need to understand that that's a lie of Satan. And I am the one who has come to save you, not by allowing your child to die, but my own life is the one I'm giving up so that you might live. So how do we answer this question? If he's not the Messiah, if he's not the Christ, if he's not the son of the living God, then we have reduced him down to something he never intended. Oh, well, Jesus was a good teacher. I love his parables. You know the one about the... That's not who Jesus said he was, a good teacher. I am the good teacher. No, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we reduce him down to something that's just a good teacher, a good teacher does not say, I am the Savior of the world and not really mean it. And he never intended that. We have made his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection just a story that has no power when we reduce him to a good teacher. As C.S. Lewis said, he is either a liar or a lunatic or he is the Lord that we should bow down and worship. 
And that's who Jesus presented himself to in this area full of false idols. So how do we answer that question today here in 2019? Because if you think about it in a lot of ways, are we willing to step forward like Peter and proclaim that truth? Oh, sure, we can proclaim it in church because we all think alike, and I know we really don't. But we can proclaim it in church because that's what you do in church. You say, Jesus is Lord. We can say it in the songs because Jesus is Lord. I can say it in certain groups in Sunday school or small group around my family, but what about when I get in a different environment around certain people where Jesus is not known or not believed to be the Messiah or not welcome at all? What about in a place where there is a strong presence of false gods and Satan all around? How do I present Jesus then? What about in your schools, young people? It's easy to say, hey, I believe in Jesus, he's the Christ. Maybe at FCA, maybe. But what about when people on your football team or in the band or, or whatever you're in involved in extracurricular activities, what if you know there's people who don't believe that and you try to express that? Now, do I say anything? about who I believe Jesus is? What about in our workplace? If I say anything to this, this may keep me from getting that raise that I want or this um, promotion that I want. So do I say anything about what I think about Jesus? Maybe do I say anything to my neighbor? They just said something and that was a red flag. Better not mention Jesus. How about in our social media? Do we want to express who Jesus is or does that start a whole firestorm and i got to write all day now? Or will you, like Peter, when Jesus was arrested, deny him depending on the environment you're in? You see, Jesus in the region of Caesarea Philippi in front of all the disciples, and Jesus goes, you're the son of the living God. I know that's who you are. But then there was a time later when Jesus didn't necessarily seem like the Messiah. He got arrested in the garden that night, and Jesus, Peter runs off, and he follows, and finally finds out where Jesus is in this courtyard, and he's warming his hands by the fire, and there's these people around, and they go, hey, I know you. You're one of them. You're one of Jesus' followers, aren't you? And he goes, I don't Now he doesn't say, yes, he is the son of the living God, and they've arrested him, and I can't believe this. But he goes, I don't even know who you're talking about. Yeah, no, we know your accent gives you away. You're one of those. You were with the Nazarene. I don't even know who he is. And one of the gospels says that, that Peter curses and says, I don't know what the poop you're talking about. I don't know the man. And the cock crows, the rooster crows, he realizes that's exactly what Jesus told me. And there's going to be times in our life, y'all, where we're going to be in those situations. And we're going to want to say, I don't know who he is. Because what I really want for my life is more important than what God wants for my life. And it's hard. I know it's hard. But the good news of the gospel is Peter had a second chance, didn't he? And Jesus died that we may have a second chance. Jesus restored him. He empowered him and said, you're not off the hook. All that stuff I said that day in Caesarea Philippi about you will hold the kings of the kingdom by that statement that I'm the Messiah, the son of the living God, you're not off the hook. You're going to proclaim that to the rest of the world. But going forward now, Jesus has, Peter has seen the, the death. He has seen the resurrection of Jesus, and now he knows this is what he was talking about. Now that he's alive, that he has defeated death, I can go boldly and proclaim that now. And on the day of Pentecost, that's exactly what Peter did. He said, you need to know this Jesus, and he talked about him. And people were so moved that they said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, all of you, for your, for the, um, for your sins in the name of Jesus the Christ. 
And over 3,000 people came forward that day and made that confession. And Peter and the, and the rest of those disciples, although they didn't understand everything at first, would spend the rest of their life saying every day, listen to me, y'all, every day of their lives they would say that confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, daily. And y'all, that's the, that's the challenge today. A lot of you have made that confession but some of you don't make it every day. Sometimes I don't make it every day, and we have to make it every day of our lives when we wake up. He is still the son of the living God. And if I put myself under his authority, if he's my master and my Lord and my Savior and my life, then I have to live every day. Everything I say, everything I do has to be under his lordship every day, not just when it's convenient or at church or around people that think like me. And the disciples were in prison. They were beaten and ultimately were martyred for that very confession in their lives. Now, are we willing to answer that question today for our own lives and continue to answer it daily? Or are we going to be scared and say, I don't know. This isn't the fun part of preaching, y'all, telling people this, because this is what Jesus really said. It was much funner when we were all up here going, yeah, Jesus. And I'm not making fun of that. I, that, that, brings joy to my heart and spirit, doesn't it, yours? But those things we sing about get a little harder when we walk out the door and go to school and to work and to our ball teams and to our family gatherings that are coming up. You know what I mean? It's hard, isn't it? But that's what Jesus calls us to be. And we, we have to answer that question. So I want to challenge, there may be somebody here today that's never really answered that question. I know, I know my parents say Jesus is. I know my friends say Jesus is. I know what the Bible says Jesus is. But who do you say that Jesus is? That's the question we must answer. That's the question that will ultimately put us in a relationship with Christ or push us away from Christ and say, I got this on my own. I don't need that teacher, Jesus. No, you need a Savior, Jesus. We all need the Savior, Jesus. And today we're going to offer that invitation. Somebody here today that needs that Savior, Jesus to name him as Lord and Savior of your life and recognize you need to come under his lordship. And we're a church that believes that. We're not a perfect church. and We're not going to live for Jesus every day of our lives. We're going to mess up, but we believe in that same Jesus who forgave Peter and restored Peter and gave him something to do with his life that would show everybody else who Jesus really is. And you know what? The good news of the gospel is Peter did that, didn't he? He was transformed by what Jesus did, and we can be transformed too. So Kevin's going to lead us in a song, and we're going to prepare our hearts for, for communion. But during that time, if somebody has a decision you want to make in the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not a one-time thing we say. It's an everyday thing we say. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So if you have that decision today, come forward as we stand and sing together right now.